We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to an NBA Draft Eve edition of the Rotowire NBA Podcast, presented by WinBet, the exclusive sponsor of Rotowire Fantasy Podcast. Nick Whalen here, joined by James Anderson. Uh, James, I've really enjoyed talking NBA Draft with you, not only this year, but the last three, four, five years that we've been together uh, at Rotowire doing this. Always one of my favorite events of the NBA calendar, um, and, and these next couple of days are, are always so much fun. Obviously, Draft Day. Uh, on Thursday draft night, um, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit different this year, um, you know, with the pandemic not over, but I, I still feel like it's going to be a little bit reduced as far as, you know, what, what the media allowances are and whatnot. But uh, it should be a more legitimate, more familiar uh, telecast uh, than what we saw last year, certainly more more close to what we're used to in years past. Um, but I want I want to jump right in and, and start breaking down uh, mostly the lottery guys, you know, top 15, top 20. Uh, we won't go super deep. I won't be asking you to break down Nehemiah Skeeta uh, out of Utah State and, and what you think of him. But I, I think it's strange, James, that we are now about like 30 hours away uh, from the NBA draft. And I, maybe this is just gamesmanship from the front office. Maybe this is just what you do in these situations. But it, it's strange to me that Detroit is is doing all it can to make it seem at least that it has not settled on who the number one pick is going to be on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the smartest thing, if if their goal is to, like, move that pick and get a haul for it. I feel like maybe you would want to just make it clear that, like, you want Cade Cunningham, um, and then that way maybe you could get those types of offers from the teams that think he's the clear top guy. And it, it seems like the consensus, uh, at least from people reporting, uh, talking to general managers is that most teams think he is the top guy and then kind of leaving it open, like saying, you're not really sure who you're going to take. Well, like if Houston, like I, I haven't, I find it hard to believe that either Houston or the Cavs 
think that like Jalen Green is clearly the top guy or Evan Mobley is clearly the top guy. Um, so I just I don't know what kind of leverage they're getting by just saying that they're not sure. But I, I feel like uh, Detroit wants to get a like what, the type of haul that the Celtics got by trading from one to, to three in the Fultz Tatum trade. Like, I think Detroit would take that type of package. It just sort of seems like Jalen Green is close enough to Cade Cunningham for both them and the Rockets that I just don't see a deal happening because I don't see uh, these two specific teams thinking that, you know, Cade Cunningham is just light years ahead of of Jalen Green. Whereas if it was another team, maybe maybe you might have that movement. But um I just don't I, I think the, those top three prospects are close enough on a lot of uh, people's boards and specifically maybe these three teams boards that you're just not going to see any movement because I mean, you're not going to you're not going to trade down from one to two if you're just getting some mediocre asset back. Right. So I, I just don't think we're going to really see anything happen in the top three. So you think it's possible that they're not tipping their hand because there's maybe a team that would want to move up to not take Kate Cunningham, you know, move up to take Jalen Green or move up to take Evan Mobley at one? Like, is that a legitimate possibility? I just don't know why else they would be sort of broadcasting it like this, right? Like if you if you think that your best chance of trading down from one is to just say, or is, is a team going up to get Cunningham, wouldn't you make it clear that Cunningham's your guy and then take the offers after that? I mean, I, I just, I'm not sure what they're gaining by doing it this way. And I mean, if anything, you kind of risk um, upsetting Kate Cunningham by like, signaling throughout this whole process that you're not sure he's the top guy right so i i just i don't know what their motive could be other than if they think the rockets really want jalen green then to kind of make it seem like jalen green might not be there for the Rockets. do you think it's possible that there's like pressure i guess to take kate cunningham like it, it kind of reminds me of last year where we we didn't really know going into the draft telecast who was going number one. It could have been Lonzo. It could have been Wiseman. Obviously, it ended up being Anthony Edwards. And it's fairly rare to not know the number one pick. I mean, this isn't football where, you know, they'll sign like two days before the draft. But more often than not, you have a pretty good idea. Uh, but I, I remember going into that one relatively blind. It, this one is, is this draft has kind of been the opposite where it feels like it's Ben Cunningham wire to wire. Um, I, but, you know, the, the way that Detroit is broadcasting to the rest of the league and, and again there, there's a very good chance this is just posturing and that they're trying to keep their options open or make it look like they're keeping their options open maybe they've settled on Cunningham weeks ago who knows but you know it, it almost seems to be like they're they, they like want another team to trade up just to take this decision out of their hands like maybe they want Jalen Green maybe they want Evan Mobley but you know you're almost scared to take a player like that number one who's not the consensus top pick because if you get it wrong it looks that much worse yeah, I think it's more like I think it's more like the Fultz Tatum draft where uh there is sort of that pressure if you're if you're picking one that like Fultz was the guy or Cunningham's the guy and you don't see a gap between that guy and another guy or another two guys. So you'd rather I mean not only 
would you just get a similar player if you felt that way by moving down, but you're, you're paying them less, um, the, the salaries less. Um, and yeah, you, I mean, you, you might get an asset in return. Whereas last year's draft, I just felt like there were very sort of specific, um, things with just the wolves, not wanting to take a point guard over D'Angelo Russell and the, the warriors, um, sort of talking themselves into Wiseman a little bit. Like, I think those are sort of more specific team related things. Whereas I think this is more kind of about the specific players, uh, where I think a lot of smart people can kind of disagree about whether or not there's a gap between Cunningham and the other two guys, and, and maybe even whether or not Cunningham's actually the top guy. Well, right or wrong, and, and this is backed up by the batting odds, if you take a look at um, you know WinBet or, or the DraftKings Sportsbook or anywhere you can find those odds, like Cade Cunningham is like minus 8,000 to go number one. So if, if you use that as a guide, he's kind of on his own tier and then Mobley and Green are on their own tier. Suggs is, is slightly below that. And then things really open up. Um, although it does seem like Scotty Barnes at Florida State um, is nearing, I wouldn't say consensus status, but but heading that way in terms of being the fifth pick uh, over Kaminga, which is a pretty big change you know, if, if you compare it to two or three weeks ago. But where do you come in on Green versus Mobley? You know, if you're the Houston Rockets at two, you know, does the presence of Christian Wood, you know, I, I, you know where I stand on this. I think I know where you stand on this. I, I hate drafting for need, especially with the second overall pick in a draft like this. But I mean, is that the tiebreaker for you or, or, you know, do you like Evan Mobley more? Would, would Christian Wood deter you at all from, from taking a player like Mobley? No, I, I like green more than Mobley, but it has literally nothing to do with Christian Wood being on that roster. And I mean, I think Mobley and Wood could actually play together. So um, I just, I, you can't make a draft pick based on Christian Wood's existence or non-existence on your roster. Uh, I just think, you know, Mobley, I, I think it's, it's easy for me to see his path to being maybe the best or second best player in this draft. But I just, I think he needs to sort of max out, um, and if, if he doesn't, if he just kind of is not quite that sort of elite player, whether it's shooting or whether it's being a true defensive five, um, if he falls short of that, then you're stuck paying a, a center, um, basically market value. You're not, you're not getting him on a discount. Whereas I think like Jalen Green, um, I mean, he, he's just going to be able to score uh, and score pretty efficiently, I think, um, very early on in the NBA. Like, I just, I don't think there's really any move that he's lacking. Um, like, he's going to be able to blow by lots of players. Uh, his step back game, his sidestep uh, game is just really, really advanced. Uh, you just, you don't see, you don't see scorers with his athleticism come around very often at all and I, I know a lot of people have, have talked about how like Evan Mobley like Giannis and Anthony Davis like you need a player like that to win and so you want the big who can switch around on, on the perimeter and anchor your defense and and do that type of stuff but I think you also just need guys who can get their own shot and and score efficiently like you know Devin Booker uh, Chris Middleton like those those types of players are, are still sort of um, 
the toughest to find and the guys that you absolutely need to win games at the highest level. And I think Jalen Green's going to be that type of guy. I think like if you're if you're talking about like comps, I just I think he's a significantly more athletic version of like Bradley Beal basically at at peak. And I mean, then you're kind of getting closer to like you know some of the all-time great shooting guards if you're talking about a more athletic Bradley Beal. And you know, maybe maybe he'll only be like a four and a half, five assist a game guy, and maybe he's not a true like offensive like you know he's not setting up his teammates in the way that maybe you you think about with like the very best players in the game but if you're scoring 32 34 35 points a game and you're doing it very efficiently and nobody can check you one-on-one I mean that's that's just such a valuable thing to have uh regular season and and in the playoffs um and I just I think that's what you could be getting with green um Mobley there's just there's more questions with him like I could see it happening I I just think it'll take longer and there's not just that one really really elite skill that that pops right now he's just kind of good at everything and you just you wonder how it's going to all evolve whereas with Green I think it's much more easier to to see how it works I think that was laid out nicely um Sam Vecini was on the Ryan Rosillo pod. Uh, I listened to it this morning, and I, I thought he made an interesting point. Uh, he has, I believe he has Jalen Suggs ranked second or third on his big board. I think he's second. Uh, and he, you know, obviously that's higher than than most people in the industry. But, you know, one point that he made is one of the main comps you hear for Jalen Green is Zach Levine. And and I, I think, you know, kind of a blend of Beal, Levine, you know, if everything goes right, seems, uh, seems realistic. You know, I, I think he... I think his game is more similar to Beal's. I think his athleticism is maybe more similar to Levine's. Uh, probably not quite at that level, which you know Levine's maybe the best like guard athlete in the entire league. But Vicini's point was, you know, give me the guy in Jalen Suggs who I think is more of like a winning player, if that makes sense. You know, like maybe maybe Jalen Green is the better individual scorer, the more exciting player. Um, but but he's talking in the context of you know winning a title. You know, you you would want a Jalen Suggs on your team, and of course, you would need other elite pieces around Jalen Suggs to get to that point. Um, but I, I think the concern with Green, or, or some concerns that people would raise, are that you know potentially he would just be this elite scorer like a Levine, like a Beal, who can give you 30 points a game, do it pretty efficiently, but you know at the end of the day, your your team is winning 41 games. Yeah, I just don't buy that. I just don't buy that argument at all. Like, I, I think, like, comparing Jalen Green, like, athletically, you can compare him to Zach Levine. Um, but, like, think about where Zach Levine was uh, at the same age as Jalen Green, and even, like, a year after that, two years after that, three years after that. Like, Jalen Green is, like, way, way, way more advanced than Zach Levine was coming into the draft. And, I don't think it's fair to look at a guy who has some things in common with him and say, oh, Zach Levine's never been a winner, so Jalen Green can't be a winner. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, Like, Bradley Beal, like, those Wizards teams with him and John Wall um, probably overperformed the talent on those rosters. Like, just looking at guys who are similar to him in in some regards and saying, well, they weren't winners, so Jalen Green can't be a winner it just doesn't jive with me at all. Like Devin, do people think Devin Booker's not a winner because Jalen green is going to be a better scorer, I think than Devin Booker. And like, no one would say Devin Booker's not a winner anymore. Um, 
I mean, I, I just I don't really buy that sort of logic of comparing a guy to a guy um, who the comp doesn't even really work that well for me, just uh, for the reasons I outlined. But just comparing a guy to a guy and saying that guy wasn't a winner, so this guy's not a winner, just doesn't really jive for me. I think the overall argument is like building around the score first two guard is a little bit harder to do, I guess. Like you have you have to have the right pieces around that player. Um, but there are plenty of examples of that working out. So yeah, I, I, I think you're right overall. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W Y N N B E T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. I'll put you on the spot right now regarding Mobley. It, right now, if you were, you know, any team in the league, would you rather have Evan Mobley, like, or you know, the number two or three pick, the ability to draft Evan Mobley, or would you rather have DeAndre Ayton? Huh. Uh, is it sort of like I'm getting DeAndre Ayton right now, where I'm about to sign him to a max contract? Uh, not no, not necessarily. I guess it's let's throw contracts out. It's like you're you're getting them at the same. You know, obviously Mobley's a little bit younger, um, a little bit more of an unknown, but you're you're getting these guys for the next like four to five years. Which of those two basically do you think has the better upside? I think Mobley. Um, I think Mobley is just more uh, like the fact that you'll be able to switch with him is kind of the the big difference there. And I think Mobley will be able to stretch. Like DeAndre Ayton, like I like he's he's developed very, very well since he came into the league, but I, I don't think anyone expects him to ever be a, a guy who really stretches from three. And I don't think it's even, it's not a knock on DeAndre Ayton that he can't switch. I mean, like lots of guys, his size can't switch. So that, it's not a knock, but I just, I think Evan Mobley will be able to switch on the perimeter a little bit and he will be able to stretch. So it's just a lot easier to build around a guy like that. Where are you on Scotty Barnes? right now who some have compared to Scotty Pippen, Draymond Green and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um <laughs> I I you know I just he's he's really tough because uh you know you've never I've never heard people like even like smart like analytically inclined people just cite the intangibles with him as like the reason why they're they're betting on him and i just can't remember a prospect in recent memory where people were just this sort of head over heels uh about a guy's 
you know, work ethic and like leadership skills and stuff like that. Like, it's just, it's, it's very, it's a very unique situation. Um, like if you took Jonathan or if you took, uh, Scotty Barnes like intangibles and gave them to Jonathan Kaminga, like, I think you might be talking about like the number one overall pick maybe. Yeah. You'd have, you'd have Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> right. So I, I just, I don't know if, um, like, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes in the draft because he's going to be a really hard player to build around to me. Like, you know, is he going to be your point guard? Um, like he could be anything from a point guard to like a, a small ball five. Uh, but I just, I don't think it's realistic to expect him to be able to shoot anything more than just catch and shoot threes. And even then, like, I don't think he'll be someone that'll be guarded uh, when he is behind the line. And so you kind of look at just where things go when we get to the postseason and players like that. I mean, he's completely different than Ben Simmons in just every way other than just sort of the, the fact that he's a ball handler who isn't, isn't very good at shooting. Um, so I don't, I don't want to compare him to Ben Simmons, but just, you know, even, you know, guys like th- those guys that you mentioned, like Draymond Green, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like you have to be so elite at everything else to be a winning player when your, your three point shot is, is that jacked up. And I just think if, if he ends up in a bad situation, like if he ends up in Orlando, like, I, I don't really think. Um, I can't really see Toronto taking him just because like they already have Pascal Siakam. Like they already have um, some guys who just aren't that great at shooting off the dribble. Like OG Ananobi can hit a three, but he's not going to really pull it off the dribble that often. Um, So like he needs to be, Scotty Barnes needs to be surrounded with uh, really high end shooting. um, I think to, to have, a chance to be a, a winning player. And I think a lot of the places where he might end up, it's going to be hard for him to have that type of spacing around him. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating. Like how much do, do those intangibles actually matter at the end of the day? Uh, because, you know, from, from everything we hear, he's just like the perfect teammate, the perfect leader and everything. But I just have this, this gaping question about, like how valuable can a guy be if he is just never guarded beyond the three point line? Yeah, I, I think he can still be a winning player and a really good player if he doesn't go to an ideal situation. But if you're talking number four, number five overall pick, you're hoping that guy turns into a legitimate star. And you know, if he goes to Orlando at five and and he's the the heavy betting favorite to end up in that spot uh, under the assumption that you know Toronto takes Jalen Suggs or someone else at four. Like that is that is not a roster for Scotty Barnes to find immediate success, right? You know, let's let's say you know you have Cole Anthony or Markel Fultz when he's back. Um, there's really nobody at the two guard. You know, Barnes can kind of play wherever. You don't you don't need to pencil him in uh, as a forward because he's six nine. You know, like you said, he, he can handle the ball. He played a lot of point guard at Florida State, so he he can kind of roam. But that team has very little shooting, and you know, in theory, Wendell Carter is, is a stretch five. He shot the three in college. He's been a horrendous three-point shooter in the NBA. Mo Bamba, not really a shooter. 
Um, you know, I mean, your, your forward depth chart is a mess. Like it's basically a G league team right now. Um, so I, I think if he does end up in Orlando, we'd have to be careful not to make any, any one year judgments, because I, I think it could be relatively ugly based on the personnel that would be around him there. Yeah. And I mean, how are you getting, how are you getting that shooting on the court? Because any, you know, any team, like teams don't really scout other teams that heavily for like regular season matchups, but it doesn't take some X's and O's whiz to just say, well, let's just pack the paint against this team and just let them shoot as much as they want. Uh, they let the Wayne Bacon beat us. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't have the shooting to, to beat that strategy. I mean, you might, you could just go zone against the magic really. Like, yeah. um, so I, it's going to be really weird if that if that goes down because I just I mean they could be like I think the Thunder might win more games than the Magic next year and we all, we all talk about like how hard the Thunder tank and everything like that but uh, I mean this Magic team's just it could just be absolutely terrible like if they ended up with if they ended up with Jalen Suggs then I think that that would be um, like the exact type of player they need mm-hmm. to sort of jumpstart this rebuild uh and scotty barnes i'm sure like all his teammates would love him and everything but if if you if your offense is just so terrible based on the spacing that that could be on the on the floor uh it's going to be hard to really feel optimistic about this team long term after after a year of that well they already have one ultra elite teammate in jonathan isaac the pastor so i I just don't like that's that's isaac's locker you know i I don't know if you can bring in another super good guy uh, those two could end up clashing. I mean, Orlando does have another pick at number eight. Um, and I, I did a quick lottery mock yesterday, and and I, I put Jalen Suggs in Orlando at five. I don't think it happens. I, I just, I want that to happen. It's like, if you could land Suggs at five, then you maybe take a swing on, you know, a Moses Moody at eight, or you could kind of do whatever with that pick. You know, I, I think you get, you get somewhat of a sure thing in Suggs, but, you know, if you're, if you're going Scotty Barnes at five uh, and then Moses Moody at eight, I, those are both guys who who I, I think will turn out to be pretty good players, but like neither of those guys are locked to be great. You know, there, there's a chance that you could come away and, and neither the, like a year from now we look back and say like, wow, I, I can't believe they took those guys five and eight. So it's it's a dicey proposition, and and I, I think you're right. If if you could bet like which team will be the worst in the NBA in 21 22, I, I think Orlando's probably the clubhouse leader right now. Yeah, I mean like like Cole Anthony might lead that team in 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 multiple major yeah. major statistical sure. categories rebounds <laughs> yeah it's uh it's not pretty let's talk james book Knight, uh who at the dk sportsbook right now is minus 475 to go in the top 10 um he, he's pretty much uh at this point favored to go number six or number seven i think his prop is like over under seven and a half uh, and that's shaded pretty heavily uh, toward the under on that, implying that he would go sixth or seventh. I I like Book Knight a lot. He was one of my favorite guys to watch in college this year. Uh, one of those guys who kind of jumps off the screen when you're watching just like a random UConn Creighton game or, or whoever they're playing, and you just notice like this guy's way better than everybody else. Uh, at the same time, you know the efficiency numbers weren't great, uh, though he did take did take and make a lot of tough shots. I, I will say I'm surprised that he's risen this far. You know I, I would be I would be all in on on taking Book Knight in like the eight to 14 range. I mean, this is a guy who in the early parts of the draft process was like maybe late lottery. You know, you often saw him in the the 15 to 20 range. 
And now it seems like there's a pretty legitimate chance he could go as high as six to OKC. Yeah, I really don't think he goes to OKC. Um, I just don't. I don't see the type of upside there that would really tempt them. I mean, like I think like Kaminga would be a great fit at six. Uh, I mean, even. Um, Usma, I mean, like Alperin Sangoon, like would make sense. Like just someone where you're just kind of shooting for the moon makes sense uh, at six if if the Thunder keep that pick. Whereas I think Booknight, um, I mean, it's it's tough for me because the, of course there have been tons of reports about how he's just shooting like crazy in these workouts, right? Like you know the the jumper's fixed, like he's he's a good shooter now. Uh, but we don't really have any proof of that. And to go from being this on-ball guy who kind of did everything, uh, like, off the dribble in college, like, I just don't see him being good enough to be that type of player, at least on a first unit. Like, maybe off the bench he could do that in the NBA. But, um, like, he's going to be asked to be a a catch-and-shoot guy, I would think at least early on, as long as he's playing with the first unit on a team. And so just the fact that we're just not really sure if he's going to be an efficient enough shooter to, to play that type of role early on has me a little bit worried about him. Um, but, I mean, the Thunder, I mean, at, at six, like that's they're the most interesting team in this entire draft to me, uh, even though they're picking six in like a four-player draft uh, because – they have the pieces to move up if they so choose, but they also like if they don't move up, the type of player that they want to bring in to that rotation is going to be very interesting to, to see what they, they choose to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So if you're OKC, would you move up? Like, is it worth giving up 
you know, a, at least one future unprotected pick, maybe more, uh, most likely more, depending on how high you want to get. Like, is Cunningham worth it to you? Is it worth it to try to get to two or three and get Mobley or Green? Is it worth it to try to get to four and get Suggs? Like, you know, we keep hearing that, yeah, OKC has the assets, but I, I haven't really heard a great argument one way or the other. Like, are is there a player in this draft that would be worth it for OKC to uh, give up some of those picks? I mean, I think they need to be doing everything they can to get to three. And I think that that, that includes like saying, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll take Kevin love and um, we'll give you, we'll give you six. We'll give you a future unprotected first, like one of our, one of our many firsts, Um, you know, you probably don't want to give, like you don't want to give your own unprotected first, like next year, because that could be like the number one pick. Uh, but if you know whatever whatever sort of is like their next tier down of first round pick that they can offer unprotected, um, that plus like being willing to take Kevin Love off the Cavs' hands, like I mean I feel like that's you know now we're kind of in the ballpark maybe, and uh, I wouldn't really care if I was getting Cunningham, Green, or Mobley if I were OKC, but but no matter who you're getting there you're getting kind of the new face of your franchise. And um, I mean, I wouldn't, I, honestly, I wouldn't even mind like if, if it, if all it took was six and Shay to get one of those guys, I think that kind of makes some sense. And I know, I know Shay is, is much more proven than any of these guys, but I mean, pretty soon Shay's going to be on a max contract. And it's just interesting, like, is he going to want to stick it out in OKC? Um, mm-hmm. Like, is he going to want to just be on a loser for the next? Well, especially after making the playoffs career. as a rookie. Right. So, you know, mate, if you just kind of cash him out now, you don't have to be the one that gives him that max contract. Uh, and then potentially ends up trading him on that max contract. If you just kind of, you know, get a younger player in. Um, who has a similar type of upside. I mean, I would argue Cunningham, Green, and Mobley have higher ceilings than Shea does, uh, just based on sort of physical characteristics. You know, it's just, it's rare for a player who's as skinny as he is, who's not a elite athlete, to become like an all-NBA caliber player. Um, So, I mean, I, I think there's all kinds of stuff they could explore, but I think getting into the top three like that way, at least you sort of then you have a plan. You're like, all right, now we're going to build this team to be as good as it possibly can for whichever player they would take in the top three for that player's prime. We're going to build with, with as many good young players as we can. Whereas right now you have this this excellent guard in, in Shea, uh, who's just kind of on a team where it's just it's unclear when they're going to start trying. And mm-hmm. so I, I think there's there's lots of interesting stuff they could do. You know, I, I think what they need to avoid is the situation that they were in this past year where they were basically shutting everybody down midway through the year. And, and Shea got hurt, probably could have come back. Uh, but I, I think the team was like silently breathed a sigh of relief when he got hurt because they had an excuse to just hold him out. Like, you know, I don't think you want to be doing that for multiple years with a player like SGA. I don't I don't think you want to be like hammering home this losing type of culture and the problem is they're so motivated right now to lose that you can't blame them, right? It's like they're they have they're they're trying to do two things. You're trying to develop this great young player in SGA, and, and to a lesser degree, you know, guys like Lou Dord and 
Um, that, that's probably about it. I was I was gonna name some of their other <laughs> young guys. I was gonna say like Steve Mikhailuk, like no, that, no. Um, basically, basically just those two guys. Um, you know, trading your own first round pick next year would in some ways like motivate you by default to be good. Uh, but at the same time, I, I almost think that's too risky because like how good are you actually gonna be? Even if you try to win, you know, like that pick's still probably in the top five or six. They do have they have the Clippers first round pick next year unprotected, uh, and they have Phoenix's first round pick next year protected one through 12 uh, obviously a, a host of other picks coming in throughout the next decade that Clippers pick is all of a sudden pretty interesting especially if Kawhi Leonard misses most if not all of the regular season yeah I mean I I would give that Clippers pick and I'd give um and I'd give that other uh blanking on what you just said but um, there's a Suns like pick I mean I would also yeah, give I'd, my own with protections Sure, sure. Uh, I can't, I mean, yeah, the Clippers aren't going to have as good a record as they did this year, but I still think, like, you know, they're they're obviously not going to tank because they don't have their own picks. And, like, Steve Ballmer doesn't want to watch a 30-win team. So I'd, I'd feel okay about giving that pick to move from six into the top three and then you know, whatever else you need to include to, to get it done. If, if you have to include that Suns pick, so be it. I mean, ne- next year's draft isn't supposed to be as good as this this one, so giving up a pick outside of the top 10 in that. I mean, they already have so many picks coming. Uh, they already have so many young players on the roster they're trying to get minutes to. I don't. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, you always hear that, like, Sam Presti just doesn't want to lose a trade. Uh, so you know, I, I get that on, on the one hand, but if you get one of these top three guys, you know, I just, I don't think you're really losing the trade. I think you're really sort of starting um, the future of your franchise with that player. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. All right. I'm going to give you uh, a couple minutes here to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans and the direction that that team has gone and we will eventually transition this into um you know that that the trade earlier this week on monday uh new orleans basically moving back from 10 to 17 um swapping Valanciunas, steven adams eric bledsoe um and we'll eventually talk about josh giddy who i think is probably going to end up at number 10 to memphis but you and i have talked on and off uh, over the last few months really about what has gone on in new orleans and how quickly this has gone from a really nice rebuilding situation with a prime asset in Zion to kind of a massive mess and a, a somewhat of a rudderless ship, you know, under David Griffin uh, to the point now that, you know, you're basically having to give away the two guys who you signed uh, or one who you acquired via trade uh, and then one who you, know, you acquired and then immediately signed to a terrible extension. Um, and now, you know, there, even after doing that, there are still plenty of questions about, the future of this team, what you do with Lonzo, what the right fit is around Zion. Uh, so I will now cede the floor to you to take this in any direction you want. Yeah, I mean, this this isn't like a, a David Kahn uh, type of mismanagement, but within the like last decade or so, I don't think there's been a worse performance by a general manager in such a short period of time than what we've seen from David Griffin. And, you know, he got a haul from the Lakers for AD. He got a haul from the Bucks for Drew Holiday. But he also had just so much leverage over those two teams in those negotiations. 
um, because LeBron needed AD, Giannis needed Drew. Like he had the luxury of just really holding firm on his asking price there. So, I mean, he didn't completely botch those two trades, but like I also don't think the degree of difficulty was very high there uh, to get the hauls that he got. And then every single other thing he's done has been a disaster. And I, I just think that they are going to, there's a chance that they do something just as dumb as anything else they've done uh, around the draft, around free agency here. And to me, um, and actually, I actually don't think that they paid too much of a, a price to get off of Bledsoe and Adams. Like I think that they, it's more just kind of comical that they took those guys on willingly uh, in the first place. But I mean, I don't think they gave up too much to get off of those two contracts that they absolutely had to get off of. Well, it's, but, it's ironic that they've facilitated each of the last two titles. <laughs> and they've been more than happy yeah. to do so. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, like, I think the number one objective right now should be trading Brandon Ingram for pieces that fit better around Zion. Because I think, I think it's just, it's really, really hard for me to envision how you build a competent defense with Ingram and Zion as you're starting forwards. Like, it's just, it's really tough because like Ingram basically has to guard the, you know, the LeBrons and the Kawhis. Like that's just, that's just way too much to ask of him. And he's kind of, he's got some like good stats, bad team type of uh, talents. Like, you know, he's not a, not a great defender. Um, not a great passer. Uh, just you know, he's not great at creating efficient offense for himself and others. So I would be trying to trade Brandon Ingram to one of these desperate teams that's looking for like that quote unquote like third star or whatever. Um, and I I think the key is you. I think it's more important to bring Lonzo Ball back than to like keep Brandon Ingram on this roster because I think Lonzo Ball is a perfect fit next to Zion. Like he's the only guy on this entire roster who's a perfect fit next to Zion. So letting him go, which it sort of seems like they're going to do, uh, like I just, I think that's, that's going to be a huge mistake. So I think if you trade Ingram and you're not going to get a player that's got Brandon Ingram's like sort of track record of, you know, being, you know what? Didn't he make like an all-star team? And you know he, he's he's gotten some love. Like people think highly of Brandon Ingram. Like you're you're probably not going to get that type of player back. But the key is just getting players who fit next to Zion, which is something that David Griffin has just really really struggled to do since getting his hands on Zion. And you know once once you can do that, then you bring back Lonzo Ball. You bring you have Zion. You you have Jonas Valanciunas for a year. Um, like if you can make that Brandon Ingram trade really make sense, then I think you have something and Zion can look at it and say, okay, I can see where this is going. But if you just run it back with like, say you sign some super old point guard, you let Lonzo ball go, you bring it back with Brandon Ingram and Valanciunas and these young guards who aren't ready to win. Like, I think you're going to be lucky to go 500 next year. And then Zion's definitely going to win. 
So I think the first call you make is to the Portland Trailblazers. And you say, we will give you Brandon Ingram and all of the picks that we have for Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, I think you, you certainly offer that. I, I have my doubts about whether, I mean, it, it would kind of depend on how much the Blazers want to do right by Dame. Right. Because I think the, I think future Pelicans picks sound pretty, pretty juicy to me because I think it's, you know, even if you pull that off, like three years from now, Dame is not going to be a second best player on a good team type of guy. I don't think. Um, You also have Lakers and Bucks picks to offer. Not, not that those are that much more appealing in the short term, but you, you could kind of mix them in and, and, you know, if you're Portland, maybe you get, you know, two Pelicans picks, one Lakers pick, one Bucks pick. So you're at least getting some exposure to all three potentially blowing up at some point. Yeah. I mean, like you're, Zion's not going to be on this team after his rookie extension unless they like win the finals, you know, like he's just not going to be. So, uh, I mean, they, I think they'd be lucky at this point to get him to sign that rookie extension. So like, you know, get, getting your hands on some Pelicans unprotected future first would be very appealing, I think to the Blazers. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think Dame Lillard wants to go to the Pelicans. Okay, I'll throw out a couple other scenarios real quickly. Um, is there a Michael Porter scenario for Brandon Ingram? Like, is that accomplishing anything for either side? I mean, I think you'd rather have Porter than Ingram, but I don't think, A, I don't think the Nuggets would be interested in that, and B, you're not solving those defensive issues. Right. Um, like yeah, I don't one, that one. So, so one, one trade I thought of was... Uh, like Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren for Brandon Ingram. Um, I, don't hate that, it. I mean, I think it'd be a little underwhelming if you're the Pelicans, but it's, it, it makes sense. Like TJ Warren can actually guard those guys that, that you need that, that second uh, forward to guard. And then if you have Lonzo ball and Malcolm Brogdon as your two guards, you know, you're getting good spot up shooting um, that, that's going to give space to Zion that he hasn't had yet you can continue to go with point Zion because Lonzo Ball and Malcolm Brogdon aren't really like you don't want those guys to be your every down point guard and I just think the the pieces would really start to fit at that point like if you're going Lonzo Ball Malcolm Brogdon TJ Warren Zion Valanciunas like the defense is still probably not going to be quite like middle of the pack but I don't I don't think it would be necessarily like bottom eight bottom 10 maybe at that point because like Lonzo and Brogdon are smart uh TJ Warren like I said would would probably be their best defender right away so I mean it's not sexy but I think it would make the team a lot better and I think it would make the team a lot more fun for Zion to play on so you could basically offer that same Lillard package to Washington for Beal you know, and those situations are are similar right now. We're not really sure how either are going to shake out. I mean, is is there any Ben Simmons discussion here? I mean, obviously, in terms of fit next to Zion, having two non-shooters, two guys who kind of need the ball and and really do similar things, despite you know not having all that similar of games. Like I don't know, I, I don't I don't love that. But in terms of just talent acquisition, you know, maybe there's something there. But I I don't love the idea of your two best assets not being interested in shooting threes whatsoever. 
No, and it, you know, maybe it would be different if, if Ben Simmons was very open to just becoming a center, then maybe it would work. But I mean, I think if you bring Ben Simmons in, you're kind of increasing the chances that Zion doesn't sign that rookie extension because he's just going to be like, oh, so you got me even less spacing? <laughs> like, uh, no, yeah, no, somehow no. less less spacing than Steven Adams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The only other one I had is. Is there an OGN and OV deal to be done? Does Toronto have any interest in Brandon Ingram? I mean, I don't know if that could be a one-for-one swap. I, honestly, I'm not even sure which side would have to give more. I, I think Toronto really values OG. Obviously, he's thought of really highly. But like you said, Ingram is the guy with the all-star credentials. Um, but the, there is still kind of this belief with Ingram where it's, yeah, he's putting up the numbers. But you know, even with fairly decent teammates around him, it hasn't really mattered yet. Yeah, I mean, I think if you had a dumb GM, you could probably pull that off without attaching assets to to the Ingram yeah. side. But I just, I mean, Ingram is not a Masai Jerry type yeah. player at all. It's, it's a very like mid 2000s trade. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to the draft. Uh, I'm glad we, we got that David Griffin slander, uh, at least off Thank our chance. Thanks um, for letting me do that. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's really the only reason uh, you're here. This is, this is just a David Griffin pod masked as a draft podcast. Uh, who else do you want to hit on in the you know, eight to 15 range. Um, how about uh, Josh Giddy? Okay. I did say we would tie this back into Giddy, So that's fitting. I'll say this on Giddy. One, I don't know if you've watched Outer Banks. I would actually bet a lot of money that you haven't watched Outer Banks, but he looks like John B., the main character from Outer Banks. So anyone who's listening and, and hasn't seen what Josh Giddy looks like, please do so. Two, is this guy a top 10 pick? Like I, these are usually the players that I like, you know, like these kind of otherworldly, super smart playmakers. I've watched a fair amount of Josh Giddy tape. I think he's fine. I think he's going to be good. I don't, I don't see like the next, next level passing ability or explosive ability with him, you know, and, and I think Sam Vecini comped him to Lonzo Ball in some ways, and they're very different players, but I, I kind of like that because I, I think I've said the same thing to you about Lonzo where it's like he was, you know, he was billed and, and is a great passer, but you don't see those like crazy next level. Like how did he make that pass passes from Lonzo? It's, it's a lot of like, you know, okay, that was a really nice lob. That was well-placed, but you know, I'm thinking the passes that you see from LeBron, LaMelo, uh, even Luka Doncic, James Harden. Like I, I feel like Lonzo ball is a slight step below that. And, and people talk about Giddy, like, you know, like they talked about Ricky Rubio coming out of Spain, like he's doing magic on the court. And, and frankly, I I don't know. I don't I don't want to sound too negative, but I I just didn't. I wasn't really as captivated as I thought I would be. Yeah, man, it's it's tough to you know like all that buzz like after that that trade, it was like oh they they want Giddy, um, and then you, you kind of look at just the player that Josh Giddy is. It's like I mean, is this this really a guy that you're? going out of your way to move up to get. Um, you already have Kyle Anderson. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I, I get some sort of Ricky Rubio vibes a little bit, like where, it, you know, different, different size uh, players. I mean, he's not as good of a passer as Rubio was at that age, but like, I just, I don't see him shooting enough for him to really be adding much value at all when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I think he's a guy who's going to have a long career because he, he's just, 
you know, he's, he's good at the stuff that that's tougher to teach. And he's obviously got great size, but, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a good looking three point shot. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not all that athletic. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of a indictment on this draft class in the sort of late lottery range that this is a guy who's sort of considered a, a prize in, right. that, in that range. I mean, I think in a lot of drafts, he'd probably go closer to 20 than to 10. I, it, it just feels like, you know, if Memphis is so in love with him. It's like, do you, did they forget that they have John Morant? You're totally right that like, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, like, yeah, I mean, he could keep the ball moving. You know, Joe Ingles is a comp that you hear with him, like great role player, you know, a guy who is always going to make the right secondary pass. Like I get that. But when you have John Morant, I don't think you want to draft someone else who is at his best when he's the one facilitating and playmaking because, you know, one, Josh Giddey is, is, as of now, not a great three-point shooter, not a great spot-up shooter, and neither is John Morant. You know, he's not even all that willing of a, of a three-point shooter overall. So, like, I don't, I don't see, like, there's this argument that, oh, Morant can spend some time off the ball. Like, I, I don't think anybody wants that. It, it I, I would rather have Wagner. I, I think I would rather have Corey Kispert. I would rather have Davion Mitchell. Um, especially for a team like Memphis that I, I think is even further along in their rebuild than they thought they would be at this point. I also think it, I kind of was getting some sort of vibes of just that being a, a big smoke screen. Like, I mean, how often do you hear a player tied to a team like that, like four days in advance and like it actually happens? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. think, uh, I think maybe it, it's going to allow them to, they can take 10 and then attach something to 10 to move up and grab like Jonathan Kaminga or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I could see that happening um, because I mean, he would be a great fit like long-term, like, uh, cause they, they really need that, mm. that guy who can guard the other team's best wing uh, long-term. And, and I think that they're, like the Grizzlies are smart enough. Like I think they know what they're doing and they know that they're not going to go crazy and try to rush this, this build uh, the way that like the Pelicans have. Um, so I, I don't quite buy that. They are just like praying that Giddy's there at 10. Uh, maybe they take him, you know, may, maybe they like Franz Wagner. Uh, maybe they like Kispert and didn't think he was going to be there. Um, I mean, Kispert would be a great fit uh, on that team. I don't know if, if they want to grab him at 10, but um, I'm not quite buying that that trade was all about getting Josh Giddy because I, if it was, then I question exactly what they're doing. Because, I mean, few teams have drafted better, and maybe no team's drafted better than the Grizzlies have over the past, like, three years. So I, I sort of expect them to kind of know what they're doing uh, with that mm. pick, and I... You know, if you if you have ten, and all of a sudden, um, you know, a team's on the clock, you know, at like seven or eight, and like Kaminga's there, and they don't really want to take him, it might not take that much to move up from ten uh, a few spots. I think you could also move back too, right? I mean, you have this Eric Bledsoe. I, I was I was gonna say asset. I don't know what he is at this point. I mean, <laughs> I think you could maybe flip him and get kind of neutral value like i don't think you're gonna to have to attach a pick necessarily to get rid of eric well, so but i think I mean, you would i mean for salary match teams, purposes it's good to have two teams have already attached the pick to get off of that contract 
So, I mean, yeah. Well, it, I, the problem is Stephen Adams' contract. I mean, the problem isn't this year. Like this year, it'd be fine, but I think he's got like a four million guarantee for next year. That it's just like that's kind of the the fly in the ointment. Like it, yeah. it's, it's not like I think he's like, he's a stretch candidate. Um, he's a just go home and don't be here like while we play out the season candidate like what they did with Andre Aguadala. Um yeah well I mean they I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to talk too much negatively about Eric Bledsoe um mm. because I mean he's he's been through enough yeah well if there's a team that loves Giddy and wants to move up and even give a you know a heavily protected first and Memphis moves back five spots and can just get best player available I, I think they're fine with that you know if you can come away from this with um, you know, you, you basically flip Valanciunas for Adams, which in my opinion is a downgrade, especially contractually, but you get, you know, you, you, you grab an extra Lakers pick from the Pelicans in that deal. And if you could move down and grab an extra first round pick, I think on the whole, it's, it, it would be well worth it. Um, any other guys in this range, Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, uh, Kai Jones, Wagner, anybody you want to touch on? Uh, let's do Alperin Sengu. All right. Shangun, yeah, you messaged me on Monday out of the blue and just said, quote, <laughs> I'm in on Shangun, by the way. Um, I'm in on him, like, relative to this draft class. Like, I think I think I would take him uh, – I think I would take him seventh. Like, I, I think wow. if, if Kaminga and Barnes are gone, I would just take Shangun and hope for the best because he's I think of of the players outside of those top six I think he's the most likely player in this draft to make an all-star team uh, which is very unlikely like I'm not saying he's going to but I mean I think like if you have the seventh pick in in the NBA draft I don't care what year it is like you need to be trying to get an impact player and I just I see a ton of role players. I see a ton of like low probability, um, like maybe they could be solid role player type guys. Um, whereas like Sengun, you know, there's there's a lot of people who think he's going to be able to actually shoot threes. Uh, I know like Mike Schmitz said he was like at a workout where where he just had really good touch from beyond the arc, and he might be, uh, I, I think he's listed at 6'9", um, but I think Schmitz was saying he's more like 6'10 in shoes, and uh, he's got he's got a decent wingspan. Um, and he just has, he sort of has that kind of like that it factor in terms of when he gets the ball, um, you know, kind of close to the basket he knows exactly what to do with it and he can do it like very quickly he can he can make a move from pretty much anywhere uh to get a good shot off and he's he's really young i mean the statistical translations are are very positive on him and he's just he's very fluid like he's not a great athlete but um you know i just i love the way he moves down there and maybe he's just a Maybe he's not even like as good as Demontis Sabonis. Maybe he's like just a you know, closer to like Ennis Cantor or something like that. But I think there's a chance that he could be 
really good. And I just don't think there's a chance that most of these guys could be really good once they get outside the top six. Can you talk me out of why I'm excited about Jalen Johnson and believe that he is like, ready? he's like, he's, he's going to be one of those guys. I've always thought like he's better, better suited for the NBA game than the college game. Talk me out of why he's going to be a huge bust. Uh, can't shoot. Yeah. Shooting's overrated. <laughs> and can't shoot, can dunk. Has dunked. Has dunked. Capable of dunking. Um, so that's good. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, what's who, what type of player do you think he's going to be like? Uh, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. <laughs> um, he's got a little Hakeem to his game. No, I, I don't know. That's the thing. I, I, I have written down on my notes, like, I'm recklessly all in on Jalen Johnson. Like, I know deep down that he's going to be a bust, but he's just, he's really, really athletic. He's super smooth at times. He's super clunky at other times. Um, I mean, his his body is incredible for that age. Like, he already has, like, NBA athleticism and strength. I mean, there were games at Duke where he looked like a potential, like, top three guy. And then there were other games where he looked like a late second rounder who was just going to be, like, a G leaguer. But I don't know, man. His his prop on, on DK is over under the 14 and a half pick, which mm. I, I would go over. I think he goes later than that. But I, that that's a much lower number than I, than I thought. I mean, I would have trouble picking over under on like 22, let alone 14. Yeah, I man, I, I'm tempted to just make a ton of these prop bets, although I, I don't think I can um, I have to drive down over the border. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think like one of those guys, like, you know, one of the like Dyer Williams, uh, Brandon Boston, Josh Christopher, like one of those, one of these guys that was thought of very highly before the year and their stock tanked is going to end up being pretty solid. And maybe, maybe it's Jalen Johnson. Um, but you know, when when there's these this significant of shooting concerns, like I'm I'm usually gonna get out. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like someone's gonna be like the Jaden McDaniels of this draft, where like the college tape is just not good at all, but then they get to the NBA and it's like, oh yeah, that's why he was right. such a highly touted recruit. Yeah, I mean, Zaire Williams' number is eighteen and a half. Um, I, I actually kind of like the under on Zaire Williams. I, I think he fits more what you're talking about, where you hear there are just there are so many teams who are just kind of willing to overlook uh, what, what was a, a pretty forgettable year or half year at Stanford and kind of more focus on the you know the high school tape, which was overwhelmingly good. So I don't know I don't know what to think about Johnson. I mean I, I know what I think. I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, but I, I, I do like Zaire Williams. I feel like Zaire Williams, like you said, I, I think Johnson, Williams, Christopher, and Boston are like all the same player in some ways. Like they're all great high school players, score first guys who just, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't work quite as good as they were supposed to be in college. At least one of them is going to turn out. I, I would put my money, I think, on Zaire Williams of that four. I would. That's that's probably my guy, too. Um, yeah, I, I think Boston is has the least likely chance to turn out. Yeah. He's just, yeah, he's, he's like a, a weaker Brandon Ingram. Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's tough to have a freshman season go much worse than than Boston's went, and yeah. and like he was, 
Wasn't he the most highly rated of all four of those guys, like, coming into the year? Uh, it depends where you look. I, they were all pretty close. Johnson lost a little bit of ground. I mean, he was top three in that class, I think, after his junior year. And then he he transferred, like, 50 times during his senior year and, and lost a little bit. I, I think Zaire Williams was, like, top five or top six in ESPN. But, it, yeah, it, it depends where you look. They were close. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Trey Murphy and Chris Duarte? Because I, 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 I like that. Go ahead. Well, like my favorite of like the the older guys is Corey Kispert, but like those two, Trey Murphy, Chris Duarte, um, like they have their they have their supporters, and the idea I think the idea with all three of those guys is that they're just sort of safe, kind of plug and play. They're going to be able to shoot. Yeah. Um, with Murphy and Duarte, like they're going to be able to defend a little bit. Um, and like I kind of. Once we get outside of the guys with tangible upside, in my opinion, like I would just go for the safer guy, like the guy that isn't going to be a, even a starter necessarily, but is definitely going to be a rotation player sooner than later. Um, so I don't yeah. know if you had a, a favorite of those guys. Yeah, I mean, Duarte is three years older than Murphy. So like, what I was going to say earlier is that I, I'm like glad that we've kind of come around. We've come full circle on these guys. Like there was a while for the previous decade where if you were 24 – you were maybe going at the end of the second round, no matter what. And now we're seeing a 24-year-old, you know, 50-year senior who might go in the lottery. Uh, a lot of people think Golden State at 14 could be a spot for Duarte. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that we've gotten out of, like, what I thought was kind of a dumb trope of, like, just draft the youngest player possible. Um, I mean, 24 is old. Like, it's, it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of guts, I think, to take that player. But if you're, if you're the Warriors and you need a plug-and-play guy who can step in and absolutely hit shots... I, I don't mind it. And, you know, I, I think the success or the relative success uh, of Peyton Pritchard last year, you know, seeing a, a four-year Oregon guard do it, I think maybe that in some ways kind of paves the way for Duarte. With Murphy, it's just, you know, you're just hoping that he's Cam Johnson who could play a little defense, right? And I, I think he projects as a much better defender, um, uh, you know, tries certainly harder on that end. And not, not that Johnson was a bad defender, but I, I think you're looking at a guy who has like similar shooting splits, similar size but higher upside on the defensive end. So, you know, is he going mean, to turn out and be as good as, as Cam Johnson? Who knows? Um, but I think, like, that's the blueprint that you're looking for there. I mean, if I could take Cam Johnson in this draft, I might take him, like, fifth after sucks. <laughs> which, which is crazy because we were so down, and everybody was so down on that pick. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. he's legitimately good. He's an, he is. Like, he's a starter. He's a starter caliber wing in the NBA. Absolutely. Uh, Where would you take Jalen Smith in this draft? <laughs> uh oh man Suns would have won the title if they took Caliburton. let me just say that yeah I mean I, mean, I yeah I I don't really have a, a counter to that necessarily no. okay well let's get out of here though we we have a meeting we have to get to in like one minute here so that, that that's a good out uh James as always appreciate you taking the time out of a busy baseball schedule to talk a little hoops thanks for having me Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.